does a world without billionaire philanthropy mean that all of the people that Bill Gates saved are now dead? Welcome back to I'm the Villain. So this is another solo episode. We don't have any guests on for this episode, but today we're going to be talking about this, this, this actually, this is part of a conversation that's been going on kind of back and forth a lot in various places in the media. Um, but it's, it's the question of billionaire th- philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there's the, the primary sources of, of where I start, sort of started getting checked into this conversation was um, this article, all of which I'll link below, from Vox by Dylan Matthews, who's like a very prominent, like effective altruist. And this post by Scott Alexander, who runs the Slate Star Codex blog, which has since been like archived or whatever because of this New York Times thing that I'm not going to get into. But basically, (laughs) (laughs) it's like something that a lot of effective, like he runs a blog that a lot of effective altruists were really into. And then the New York Times was going to like write an article about him, but they wanted to use his real name. He didn't want them to use his real name. And then he shut down the blog because he's like, well, if there's no blog, they can't write about me at all because there's not going to be anything to write about. (laughs) Um, So anyway. I hate people. Uh, I know. (laughs) People are the worst. But like I... I get why the New York Times is like, okay, we can't like do things anonymously because like that's, I think that's a good journalism thing to stick to. Yeah. I mean, like you know? they're, they're like one of the largest publications in the country. <laughs> yeah. Like, and if you were just like, you know, stating things as fact from these like just anonymous bloggers on the internet, I don't know. Yeah. It's just. I get both sides. I get it. He's yeah, totally. Paranoid yeah. guy. Whatever. But I can totally see him being like, oh, I, want, I don't want to be doxxed. Yeah. So. <laughs> The the topic of billionaire philanthropy is so multi sided that it's it's hard for me to even think about, right? And I think I yeah. I have an idea of where I'm gonna fall on this, but I won't say it yet. <laughs> um, we'll just we'll, we'll get into it. And so I think the first article that Isabel mentioned was kind of getting at the criticisms against like billionaire philanthropy as an institution. And I think builds a strong case against um, against the the idea of like the worth of a, of billionaire philanthropy, um, and I think the whole thing is founded on the idea that well, it's it's not an idea; it's a fact that philanthropy started in the 1900s as primarily a way to avoid taxes. <laughs> they were tax shelters, right? And um, and the government. This is a very intentional move by the government to incentivize people that have that had a lot of money to do good things with it. Um, and also, you know, it's it's a very very good loophole <laughs> to get out of taxes. Um, so the 1900s are happening, and like you know, these really really prominent wealthy people are popping up, like the Rockefellers, and. Uh, the Carnegies and the Morgans and all these people. And um, the article talks a little bit about how, uh, was it John D? I think John D. Rockefeller. I can't remember which one. Probably him. He's the big one, I think. I don't even know the names of any of the Rockefellers. <laughs> I think it's John D. <laughs> Rockefeller. He was like, damn, I need to give some of this money back to the people that I earned it off of. <laughs> Quote, unquote. And... 
like talked to Congress and like wanted Congress to pass a bill to like allow him to like more easily establish his foundation and start redistributing his money. And he was met with from what from what it seems like a lot of backlash. Mm-hmm. And so the article the article just like uses that to lay out the like lay out the background and the whole idea is that um we praise billionaires too much for giving away chunks of their wealth without like really thinking about why they're doing it how it's being done how it's being executed when in all actuality they can just kind of do it know they're going to get praise and um and get huge tax write-offs so that they end up having to not pay anything in taxes um and so these are all things that i was like these are all concepts that i was already kind of familiar with i hadn't really thought about the idea that like because billionaires can just decide by themselves what they're into and what they want to put their money towards that it like undermines democracy it feels it still feels like kind of a stretch as i say it but i understand it Mm -hmm. you know but do you like the concept basically this being that like if Mark Zuckerberg is to make this huge donation to the Newark school systems, right? Mm-hmm. Does he then have all of this like say over what happens in the New York school systems more than, you know, what would otherwise be done through a democratic system yeah. of people, you know, and the school board and whatever, the people who like are in Newark deciding what's going to go on right. in their own school system, right? Yeah, so I find the whole thing, I mean, I find it very compelling because as I've said before on the show, you know, in school, when I was studying nonprofits, one of the biggest critiques is is this idea of like restricted funding, where um, grant makers, fund, typically foundations, or sometimes just like one really rich guy, is like, are like, yo, I want to fund this kind of project specifically, and I want these kind of metrics to come out of it, and I want it in this time frame, as opposed to giving the money unrestricted and just like handing money to experts and saying, you know how to run your program best, or you know what is most necessary. Um, Like, take this money and do whatever you want with it. Mm -hmm. It's really, really, really hard to come across unrestricted funds. Um, Almost never are grants completely unrestricted, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they require some kind of reporting on a a, um, regular basis. And, in fact, I think, like if you are a nonprofit and you want to somehow acquire unrestricted funds, you need to find like an extremely benevolent rich person that really is just trying to throw away money and doesn't care. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I I still think this is a very compelling issue. Um, But I think that the guy is kind of trying to make the case, right, that you that we could solve this issue or that the more the money would be more effectively and systematically put to work if we just actually tax billionaires and that that would lead to more systemic change um so yeah do you think i missed anything on that no i think that's a good i think that's a good summary of it um and like so so i guess i can give the the summary of like the counterpoints to that which is that and there's a there's obviously many but the ones that were most compelling to me was this notion of like okay well 
but while we still have a system where you know the billionaires are are getting taxed at a super low rate and that's like almost a separate issue right that's a political issue that you have Mm -hmm. to solve right yeah in the meantime why criticize these billionaires (laughs) for like (laughs) doing good shit right like you know if you are you know his the the star codex guy is basically like if you have two million dollars or two billion dollars or whatever to give you know to do something with and you know you're gonna get criticized more for giving it to like children in poor school districts than you are for buying a fucking yacht <laughs> then why then, like, wouldn't i just buy it? why would you ever just stop yeah just buy a yeah. yacht for yourself right not only do you get a nice thing <laughs> no one's like no one is criticizing these billionaires for having super nice houses it's almost like oh like yeah well like that comes with the territory of being rich but like you know god forbid you try to like fucking help poor people yeah like, <laughs> we as a country are really and this is also a phenomenon that we studied but we as a country are really, really, really obsessed with how money gets spent if it's supposed to help people, right? Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we scrutinize the shit out of it, for better or for worse, and I think there's like positives and negatives to this, right? But this is why it's such a huge scandal if we figure out that a nonprofit has like pay is paying their CEO a lot of money, right, in the six figures, or if they're like if we figure out that a nonprofit is spending not money. even six figures, like well, I mean, some of these nonprofits are paying their yeah, some of, like, CEOs a shit ton of money, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Red Cross's CEO makes a shit ton of money, but mm, yeah. But like, if we figure out a nonprofit is quote unquote frivolously spending its money in whatever way, right? Mm-hmm. We as a society get really, really, really mad. Yeah. And there's and even outside of public perception, there are so many rules. Um, passed down by the IRS about what it means to be a tax-exempt entity, about what you can and can't do with your money. Mm-hmm. Um, which I understand. I get it. Yeah. Um, I get why, but the po- like the point is that like the phenomenon is there, and whether or not you think it's unjust is whatever. But we definitely don't mm-hmm. care nearly as much about how entities that claim to be for profit or how private people spend their money. Yeah. Um, we care a little bit more now, right? Like we're looking at like we care like when we care when Amazon is, you know, fucking over its employees, kind of, <laughs> and like we care about when Walmart does that, kind of. And but that's a pretty. I think that's a pretty new phenomenon. Yeah. Um. So and and just to be clear, the the refuting article was making the point that Isabel just stated in response to the idea that we blindly. Um, like praise billionaires for giving when in fact mm-hmm. it seems like in nowadays it's the other way around mm-hmm. um, and I think that's I think that's an effective refutation I think that and I don't, I don't know when when Robert Reich I think that's the name Reich Reich I don't know yeah. I don't know when he made that claim because I do think that like that's also an artifact of like the Twitter age like yeah like re- when we like really really overanalyzing because it's not just no, it's like not just uh, you know, opinion columnists who we get to hear the opinion of now. We get to hear the opinion of everyone. Yeah. And so maybe it was never actually the case that, like, you know, people were always praising billionaires before. It's just that those were all people who are writing at newspapers that happened to be owned by billionaires, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
it, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's easy to hear the public reaction. It's much yeah. easier now than it was, you know, than it's ever been. Um, right. He does do a really cool, you know, this is, <laughs> this is quasi-experimental at best, but he, like, you know, he types in, you know, three examples of uh, billionaires and their causes that they have funded to get, like, to get kind of what, what I think he calls and what I would call a sentiment analysis, a qualitative analysis of what people believe of it. And he does, um, he does Gates malaria, Gates malaria, Zuckerberg Newark for the Newark Public Schools donation, and one other example that I can't remember. It's like Jeff Bezos, but I don't remember what the thing is. He yeah, it's to. Bezos something. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it is really interesting how it seems like the like Bill Gates is, is the use case for what exactly we want like uh, philanthropists to do. Right, mm-hmm. and then we have under him a Zuckerberg who seems to kind of fall short in some ways, and at mm-hmm. least in the eyes of the public. And, anyways, he was, you know, the sentiments about about um, Zuckerberg and Bezos and their donations were pretty negative. The sentiments about Gates were more mixed, but like definitely yeah. a little bit more positive. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Which I think actually does align with you know, the reality of how hard they're trying to actually, like, support yeah. those causes, Yeah, right? I mean, Gates got, like, he, you know, I think this is a pretty well-known, like, kind of famous story at this point, but, like, he was like, all right, damn, I need to, like, get rid of some of this money, whether it be, you know, tax reasons or not, and he, but he, like, convened a group of people to, like, and they, to be, like, like, scientists and whatnot, to be like, yo, where should I, like, what is, what needs where should this money go? Like, what's the most pressing matters right now? Yeah, and, and I super agree with his analysis. Like, I think no one is paying enough attention to public health. Nope. And I do think that is the place where you can help the most people and save the most lives. And, like, so many of these other causes just feel more like PR things to me than, like, oh, okay, let me just actually sit down and figure out how I can, like, really do the most good for the most people. Yeah, and... Gates, from a, you know, from a, a philanthropy, from like a, an effective philanthropy standpoint, did exactly what we want people to do. People to do, yeah. right? Exactly. And because, once again, I think back to like the classes and like what I was studying and another phenomenon is like, yeah, another kind of shitty part about having a philanthropic sector that's driven by private billionaires is that we only, for the most part, end up doing work on sexy topics like children with brain cancer or whatever you know yeah and like things like mudslides in california are not as sexy but need just as much attention or attention and are in some ways i think we see this with the malaria thing more tangible to treat than like money towards research for cancer right yeah exactly a lot of this like experimental stuff you're just gambling yeah right whereas like deworming children like you know for a fact can be done super cheaply and is incredibly effective. Yeah, and you know, I don't know a lot about exactly how Gates is spent, how Gates's money is being spent, but it seems like he was like, it seems like a, a lot of it is not research and a lot of it is just scaling and distribution of of med- medical shit, you know, which whatever. Although there does seem to be tons and tons of research done too in the Gates Foundation. Like, which is dope. Like, you know what's crazy? I was on, I was watching some TED Talks the other day, and one of the most popular TED Talks 
is obvious for obvious reasons is this TED talk that he gave in 2015 where Bill Gates it's called why we're not prepared for the next pandemic <laughs> and he almost predicted literally to the T every single thing that's happening right now and he told us all it was like it was just like so prescient yeah you know what I mean that's so interesting I'm gonna watch that it was such a that was like the biggest I told you so of like all of YouTube you know <laughs> Gates was like so you're telling me that in 2015 Gates gave a TED talk where he was like hey the next pandemic that hits you're all fucked Yes, and he's like, look, I can tell you exactly what you need to do. It's only going to cost a trillion dollars, which is far less than it's going to cost if we actually let the pandemic hit. And he just outlines everything, and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm going to watch that as soon as we're done talking. <laughs> it is crazy. And, like, you know, I, I think I listened to a more recent episode of some podcast, I don't remember which one, with Bill Gates in it. And he's literally on the ground, like, with the CDC. He's advising the CDC. You know, the CDC is going to Bill Gates and being like, what the fuck should we be doing? <laughs> yeah, because the CDC's research is bound by fucking political funding, and Gates is on... He's not. Which right? is a huge, I think, plus for billionaire philanthropy. Yes. Right? So, yeah, and I think this is actually a good way to lead into more of the guy's refutation article, which is like... Yeah. Which is that... He seemed really focused on like on dismantling the idea that if we taxed the billionaires and like made them pay their fair share, that you know that that money like that's more effective money to be used for whatever. And by essentially like tearing down the idea that the government does anything right ever, <laughs> like since when has our government since when have we been really happy with where our government puts its funds? And you know, he talked a lot about how, like, the government spending on global health development is pretty low. It's like 0.9% of its budget or something like that. Whereas Gates is putting a much higher percentage of their foundation, their foundation's um, earnings into that. Mm -hmm. And, like, do we really want to pull the money away from these billionaires? Um and like you know make it the government's job to decide what happens with it <laughs> right but which is like i think the example that he used when he was making that argument was also such a good example where he was like look there's all of these like for example bail funds right yeah. are literally funds that are like philanthropic funds created to solve a problem that the government made yeah which is <laughs> yeah and the stat, no, he's like the if you just quoted, took all that money and gave it to the government you would just have more people in jail <laughs> yeah the stat he quoted was pretty it was pretty move or pretty and pretty powerful to me it was something like 92 percent of people that are in jail right now because they because they don't have money to bail out will end up taking guilty pleas just to get out of jail. Yeah. Um, but if these people, you know, had the money to be able to actually take, take um, like, go to court, half of their charges would be dropped. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, you know, for those doing the math, that's 42% of people that end up paying, like, you know, end up paying... Or like end up taking guilty pleas and like having shit on the criminal record, if they if they just had more money or access to more capital, that would not be the case. And that's a that's a problem that's created by the government. <laughs> it's a governmental problem. So, and 
and as I was reading the refutation, you know, I think that it's weird because like there are a lot of problems with with big big giving, big philanthropy, and I don't think it's fair to talk just about Gates because Gates is like the exception to the rule. It would seem like yeah. he does exact he does everything exactly right, and he saved he and his money ten million saved people or whatever millions right? of lives, literally millions yeah. of lives, right? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't seem like even Zuckerberg is doing the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems, yeah, it seems unfair to like to like use Gates as the whole reason why we shouldn't like why billiard ph- philanthropy shouldn't be reined in. But mm-hmm. I don't think, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think the government would do a good job either. <laughs> <laughs> so who then? You know. Well, that's the thing is that like, I guess for me, it's a question of okay. So why would somebody argue that the government has a a better role to play here than a very rich person, right? Given, you know, assuming that the government or the very rich person had the same amount of money that they were working with to solve a particular issue, right? Mm-hmm. I think in in like health in particular, a lot of the, you know, especially for people who are in other countries with more functioning health systems the what they would say to that is well the government because you know we have you know more socialized healthcare they can like basically bargain on behalf of a larger number of people right to try to get the best like prices for people who need like a hip replacement or something right you can go to all the hip replacement companies and be like look this is a ginormous contract right it's only going to go to the people who offer us the best price but we do the quality control so we can also ensure that it's it's going to still going to be a good quality hip it's not just going to be like a a terrible cheap hip right yeah um so they can use that power for collective bargaining right yeah and um you know, we do that to some degree with Medicare, right? But we definitely don't do it as much as we could be. Obviously, if we had a more socialized healthcare system, we could be doing that so much more, right? Yeah. But I guess then the question is, if you had a private foundation, right? Could they not also do that same collective bargaining that the government could be doing, right? Because you know what's crazy too is that so much of that money that flows into the government as we know working in D.C. flows right back out to pl- to private, you know, contractors, yes. right? So like at the end of the day a lot of the time it's private industry doing it anyway, <laughs> right? Yes. And, <laughs> and when the government like as someone who I work a lot with on government projects, right? Or yeah. On, you know, I'm, I am a good example of what a private contractor would be, right? And in fact, exactly. I, am, I am literally a private contractor for the government. Yes. And, <laughs> and um, except I work for a nonprofit, so I'm a private public consultant. Or well, you're still know. private. It's just nonprofit. Yeah, I'm non-government. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah, so very good point. A lot of the work does still end up getting done by private people, and getting done a lot less i mean i don't you know this is a blanket statement that isn't that isn't definitely isn't true 100 percent in the case but in some cases it can be done a lot less efficiently um because the government is generally pretty bad at providing oversight on things <laughs> and Wait, which one which one are you saying is less efficient i think i think that it would be more efficient if the government 
didn't provide as much oversight as they did. <laughs> like for government, when I'm working from when I get a government or when I'm working on a government contract, they care a lot about like reporting out a lot about um, you know a lot about like going through the right channels, and it's a very bureaucratic process, and I think it ends up in things taking a very long time, and focus is being put on meeting like meeting metrics meeting a number or whatever it might be and less about the like the impacts of the actual work you know mm-hmm. um and my understanding is that that would be even more the case if they were doing it in-house like the whole reason they outsource to begin with is so that they can try to avoid some of that bureaucratic bullshit they have to do yes where like 50 percent of any given project is literally just administrative shit that comes along with the oversight <laughs> than the actual work yes right I, a lot of people don't and i think this i think this makes sense that this is the conception i think that there's a, the conception is that our government is like you know there's like so much money flowing around it and that like that must mean that like that must mean that there's so like there so much, so much staff and so much gets done or whatever it's very much not the case a lot like mm-hmm. a lot of these government departments are understaffed underpaid and overworked <laughs> um and weighed down by bureaucracy right like right, right i have heard firsthand accounts of like people that work at hhs health and human services and They'd be like, yeah, we had a lot of really good projects going. And then, you know, every four years we get scared that the administration change is going to make us have to throw away the work that we were doing and do something else. Right. That's the other thing is government is so volatile. Extremely volatile. Like at least the Gates Foundation, you know, you can ideally go for more than four years without worrying that your entire project's going to get thrown out the window. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is all to make the point that I think you and I agree on, which is that it doesn't seem like the government should be, or like the government shouldn't be the arbiter of, you know, what causes get funding or what causes don't get funding. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side of things, I don't think that, like, I do think that there is a problem with, with just rich people getting to literally guide where our fil- like where the philanthropic efforts get put to you know like we're trusting we're, we're essentially trusting that we're hoping that these people care about the right things essentially yes but at the same time i think that you know if you're if you're relying on a government you're hoping that a huger number of people are gonna like vote for the right things and i think often your the end result is that they don't you know you have to rely if you're gonna like you know say okay let's just give it to the government to to handle you have to rely on everyone in that district actually deciding to empower the government to do that as opposed to just putting people in jail you know like (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i or you know right but i guess what i'm getting at is it doesn't seem like you know it kind of seems like there should be some weird middle neutral party that like helps to get a say in how fun or how philanthropy works. Well, but there's no such thing as a neutral party. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should just, you know, run everything via algorithm and And let let the robots decide. decide. (laughs) But obviously, you know what? Like there's still always going to, someone has to program the robot. So there's, there's still no neutral party, right? Yeah. So 
here's okay here's really the awkward awkward reality that i think is starting to become more apparent to me is that like in certain ways back i think we're in a in a point in history both because of like social media but also other kind of really defining forces i think the internet is a big part of it people are getting way more power than they used to have in the media in politics and stuff like that and back when things were more led by rich people i do think there are some pros to that in the sense that I was also I've also been reading Ezra Klein's book, Why We're Polarized, and he talks about how, you know, when the Democratic Party was like way more actually driven by party elites, they would they go for very pragmatist um, candidates because they their calculus is like, oh, well, I actually need this person to like do certain things for me on my agenda. Right. Whereas the people, the democratic people are not necessarily thinking in that same way. And so you can't get through that system where everything is run by party elites, a, a system, you know, basically a candidate who's as radical as like a Trump or even a Bernie. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like more stable, even though it's obviously more unfair. Because that's the thing that to me is 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 interesting about it is that it's not clear to me that now, even when there are more, you know, democratic forces at play, that things are even more fair. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, yeah. You know, is the is the process, the more modern democratic process that we have now, like, you know figuring things out yeah is it actually more fair than like just having rich people decide everything (laughs) because you know what the people will vote for fucking brexit you know yeah (laughs) and brexit is empirically a pretty bad choice (laughs) well like it's just like unfortunately you know i think that the premise of you know having that you know, wonderful democratic society is really predicated on a lot of factors that we are not present in our society now. Yeah. Right. Like a, like a educated voter base. And that's the thing is I wonder if, even if we were more educated, if this would not still happen. I think, yeah, I guess when I, when I say education, I don't mean like literal, you know, like literal schooling. I think of like, you know, like having received some kind of non you know non-biased education on what like the what the issues are but that's not a thing it doesn't doesn't because to me like this pandemic i think is a really big like determinant in my views on this because you know one would like to think you know if we we're living in a more educated society, more people would quote unquote believe in science and like decide to follow all of these like pandemic guidelines, right? But I think in actuality, a lot of what we're seeing is that a lot of the time, even perfectly well-educated people are not following this. I mean, I think there's definitely a correlation, but like even though both of us are educated, it's I don't think that even, you know, the two of us are more like that much more prepared to understand like the actual science at play in this right i think we're basically normal people in that respect yeah i agree you know i it just feels like we're it feels like 
you know, it feels like we are kind of gravitating to like, I guess we should let the rich people do whatever they want. Um, well, that's a, my my real statement is just that we're the rich people are going to do whatever they want no matter yeah, what. Yeah, regardless, right? they're going to do whatever it's, they want. It doesn't really matter what we think about it, right? Yeah. But <laughs> and <laughs> um, but if it, it feels just like you know, kind of like the throwing your hands down, like okay, I guess I'm I'm in a fucking like we're we're kind of in a, in a stronghold or in a, being strong armed here, right? Like we're being strong armed by capitalism, like <laughs> like. Well, and the other thing that's so crazy about it is like, you know. At the time that capitalism was conceived, it was the 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 most progressive thing on the block. Yes. Right? Yes. It was like, like In fact, I think honestly the people like, you know, Keynes and like Smith and like all of these people who were like coming up with this, you know, grand idea that could it was honestly like a social justice thing to promote capitalism. Yeah, cuz like right? what was cuz at that time it was like you know, the opposition was like what monarch? It was monarchy, right? It was like the economy is decided, like by those in, exclusively by those in power. Yeah, and I think a lot of like it was also like you know a lot of it had been dis- at the time you know they were grappling around like the gold standard and like you know how should we like you know decide our fiscal policy and stuff like that. And a lot of that was literally just like stuff that had been decided by like the ruling class and like kings. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and then they were like, okay, but what is actually going to work for the people? And, like, capitalism was the answer. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I, I mean, I do think that it's important whenever we talk about capitalism on this show. I, like, I do think it's important to, like, give the caveat that a, that a free market doesn't exist. Or, like, at least the, our market is not a free market. It is mm-hmm. heavily tampered, and, tampered with and regulated with already. Right? Like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not even counting the like the many different ways that many that much like many or I'd say that a lot of, of, of the liberal population wants to further tamper with it right mm-hmm. so you know I, it's it's broken already right <laughs> like it's not it was never free it might have been free when it was first conceived maybe I don't know like I don't uh, even know if the word broken is the is the right word because I don't I think it, this is just like something that was like the people i mean i think that this is something that economists still do all the time right is that it was conceived of as this like you know beautiful frictionless pulley right (laughs) and like then they were like oh shit i guess in the real world there's friction or this you know what i mean like (laughs) in the real world there is friction for sure they just i think they, they it was just like they came up with this in this theoretical vacuum that didn't stand the test of real people you know putting it into play yeah i mean there's and there's an economic word for it. It's called like externalities, right? Externalities are like things that, like things that you didn't account for in your theory. <laughs> yeah, they're literally things that influence the market, right? And yeah. so, like when you do, when you're in school for econ, you learn how to do these problems like in the absence of externalities, and then like you can like do problems and like add externalities into it, like account for like the effect of a subsidy or something like that, right? But what happens when we're stacking on these like all of these externalities, externalities on top of each other then we're just like then we've just created a new game it's not the same game anymore um but you know i i do wonder how this conversation plays into the idea of like redistributing wealth right and mm-hmm. like we there are a lot of people that don't think that billionaires should be a thing just in mm-hmm. general right we should, like it shouldn't be 
you know, like they should be taxed appropriately and like, you know, people shouldn't be able to stockpile money to the point where, you know, they have that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but how does that affect philanthropy? Does a world without billionaire philanthropy mean that all of the people that Bill Gates saved are now dead? That's the real question. I think yes. I think the answer is yes. And but is the I, mean, I, I think that that that's like that was like the really like you know interesting conundrum that I feel like Slate Star Codex guy set up is that are you really going to like is it actually worth the trade off of like you know paying each Amazon warehouse worker of which there's like maybe a couple thousand of them. There's probably like, more. It's probably like in the tens of thousands. Sure, I, in I'd the say. tens of thousands. Like you know, four dollars more an hour. Really worth those ten million lives. But here's the thing, man. I mean, and I get it. Like everyone reacts to incentive. Yeah. Including billionaires, and so yeah, it's not fair for me to say like, why can't you just be decent? But like Jeff Bezos can do both. You know. Yeah, that's true. Like, <laughs> Jeff Bezos can do whatever the fuck he wants. It doesn't have to be an either or. You can pay your fucking workers a living wage and make impacts philanthropically, and it shouldn't have to be either or. Yeah. Right? Like, I. Dude, I really want to know. Like, may, I've never even looked into this if there has, you know, if anybody's asked him this question publicly. And what did he say? Who? Beasy? They must have. I'm sure somebody's asked him in a public forum. Why aren't you fucking doing more with your money? You have $171 billion. I mean, I think it's very... I mean, Jeff Bezos has made enough money that he never has to talk to any fucking body. I mean, he... But what I'm saying is, <laughs> like, yeah, that could be true. And he doesn't, he doesn't talk that much, to be fair. Like, he doesn't do that yeah. in interviews. He isn't very public-facing. Mm-hmm. And I think that if someone did ask him that, he would say, we're doing a lot. And then he would list all the stuff that he's doing, which, by the mm-hmm. way, is a lot. Mm-hmm. It's empirically a lot. Like, is it is it empirically a lot? Let me. I think I'm pretty sure. Let's. I'm gonna look up. The last I heard, he of like major donations is he donated ten million dollars to, so you know to create a climate fund. But ten million dollars is literally a drop in the bucket compared to 171 billion dollars, which is his like actual net wealth. But to be fair, all of that 171 billion dollars. Not all of it, but like the vast majority of it, I'm sure, is not liquid, and therefore he can't do anything with it anyway. It's just Amazon stock. And if he just decided to sell all of it and liquidate it, the value of it would inherently go down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I found an article from Business Insider. It says, how much has Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, the richest person in the world, personally given to charity? Here are all the major donations Bezos is known to have given to charity since becoming a billionaire in 97. So, in August 2011, he gave $10 million to the Museum of History and Industry in Seattle. And December of that year, $15 million to Princeton Neuroscience. Uh, July 2012, $2.5 million to Washington United for Marriage, a same-sex marriage advocacy group. January what? Does he care about that? That's, that's kind of crazy. Apparently he cares about it. January Weird. 2013, half a million to World Reader, a nonprofit that, that, private, that provides access to e-books and e-readers. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a donation to himself. So, yeah, it sounds like a donation to Kindle. <laughs> um, May 2016, a $1 million pledge to match donations to Mary's Place, a homeless nonprofit in Seattle. May 2017, $1 million to the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. That's in response to Trump. Mm. And because he has he owns WAPO. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
January 2018, $33 million to the Dream.us, a nonprofit that funds college scholarships for immigrants. Uh, September 2018, $10 million to With Honor, a, a PAC for electing military veterans. Interesting. It's his first, that's his first major political donation. It was a $10 million donation to a bipartisan political action committee that backs military veterans. Hmm. Um, September 2018, $97.5 million to support educational programs for homeless families through the launch of Bezos Day One Fund. Oh, that's the biggest one so far, right? Yeah, $97.5 million. Oh. Oh, no, 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 no. Million. I thought you said billion. Okay, no, I said right. million. That's the smallest one. Yeah. No, no, I've been saying million this whole time. Oh, really? Yeah, not billion. He hasn't donated more than a billion dollars to anything? No. Never. Mm. November, 20, November 2019, $98.5 million to fighting homelessness. The second round for the Bezos Fund. And then February 2020, $10 billion to fight climate change through the Bezos Earth Fund. Oh, so this is the biggest so far. Yes, the Earth Fund. The yeah, that's billion. the biggest one. In the post, Bezos said the initiative would fund scientists, activists, and nonprofit organizations any effort that offers a real, a real possibility to help preserve and protect the natural world. So, yeah, that's it. So, like, you know, I, I understand the per capita argument. Like he could always. What, what is the per capita argument? What are you saying? That like as a percentage of his own wealth, he probably hasn't given that much. I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's still a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Although it does really seem like a lot of those are don- are somewhat self-serving donations. Yeah, I mean, no. he does a lot for homelessness in Seattle because there's a, there's a big ass Amazon presence in Seattle. Well, and like, I'm sure. A lot of that homelessness is because of Amazon workers <laughs> identifying the shit out of all of their neighborhoods. Yeah. <laughs> Facts. Right? So, like, these are all problems that he personally caused. <laughs> what about the same sex thing? That, I don't know. Where that seems a little, that's the one that feels a little bit out, out of left field to me. Maybe he's gay. Maybe he's secretly gay. I bet a lot of people said that at the time. I just, I just, you know, missed that media wave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people had to have said it. I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, he just divorced his wife, right? That's even more like... <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that I did, I did want to bring up before we get out of here is um, how... And I think this was in the, like, just, like, against billionaire philanthropy thing, talking about financial incentive on how because billionaires are taxed at higher rates, their percentages... Or their their um, deductibles that they get from their their charitable donations are also higher than the average person will get. So he was saying like, "Why I thought they were taxed at lower rates." Billionaires. Yeah. I think like, in terms of like the percentage. No, I think in terms of the percentage is still lower. Uh, let me let me pull up the article you sent. I'm pretty sure it's higher. Like they get forty percent, whereas we get a twenty percent. But it directly affects the um, the amount of money that you can deduct. Mm. Okay, I pulled up the article real quick. The reason I say that is because I recently saw some time lapse, um, like chart of like what the the tax rate on the you know the highest you know or, or all the tax brackets were 
you know, through the time, throughout, like, you know, since the 1950s. Yeah. And it's been going significant. Like, it started off, like, you know, being like, you know, yeah, billionaires paid, like, a huge percentage, and then it's been progressively shifting downwards. Yeah. So this is the guy's example, Rob, Rob Reich's example. He says, let's imagine that I'm a wealthy person taxed at a rate of 40%. Imagine you're a middle-class person taxed at 20%. You and I each make a $1,000 contribution to whatever charity is ranking highly these days. You make the $1,000 contribution, I make the $1,000 contribution. It goes to the same charity, the same amount of money. So essentially, an, an identical social good has been produced in the world. Your $1,000 contribution costs you $800 because $200 is foregone in your tax bills as a deductible. My $1,000 contribution costs me $600 because $400 is foregone in my tax bill. Therefore, it's more beneficial for me to donate money than it is for you to donate money, even though you are donating a larger percentage of your wealth. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? Like, that $1,000 means a lot more to the person that's in the middle class um, than, the, than the person that's the billionaire. But the person that's the can't... billionaire, yeah. it's cheaper for them to, do, to donate than it is for the person that isn't. Mm-hmm. So. Got it. And that's fucked. <laughs> But it seems like it seems like there's room in either, to go in either direction. But basically, that's the only reason for that is just because they're trying to incentivize billionaires to do it. Yes. Right. Because then, at, in at the end of the day, they will get more money from a billionaire than a middle class person. Yeah, but maybe it's like if we made the incentive for the the average person to donate higher, then maybe we could make up some of that money we would lose if we. You know, tax billionaires more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it seems like there's room to budge in either direction. You know, like the tax policy should be better. Like American tax policy should be better, obviously, right? Like mm-hmm. companies and billionaires should pay a lot more in taxes than they do, and um, and also, I don't know how to you know I don't know how to make change in the other direction, but like. Billionaires should be more thoughtful about and like, you know, care a lot more about how to effectively use their money and consult the people that they're trying to give to to use it. Yeah. You know, I think the only real takeaway for me is that. Like, while we have the system that we do have now. Like, the only thing that you're doing by criticizing billionaires from donating is disincentivizing them to donate. Yeah. Right. Obviously, the the ideal system would be one in which we had an actually affected government, and then that could be funneled, you know, through taxes or whatever. But we don't have that system, right? <laughs> and so, in the meantime, unless you want to mobilize like a couple million voters, then like, you know, why why give them this kind of like negative stigma for doing something good? Yeah. So you're you know you're falling on the side of like don't lick a gift horse in the mouth. You should definitely, like, you know, not just be unskeptical, right, of, like, you know, what they're doing. But if they don't, you know, if they they definitely have the option to just not do it at all. Yeah. Right? And, and like, you'd rather Zuckerberg make a big donation with some strings attached, maybe, than not do it at all. I mean, it depends on the size of, like, you know, if the strings attached make it such that the donation is actually, like, completely hindering the process of the New York school systems getting better <laughs> at all, yeah. 
then like yeah it depends on you know how stringent they are yeah. you know but i could see i i think i agree with you i could also see someone being like i would rather you know i would rather not have the possible cons that come with billionaires like engaging in philanthropy like than having it at all like you know it's I'm sure that Zuckerberg doesn't doesn't get to control Newark's school system, but he definitely gets to have some influence over it now. Mm-hmm. And then we get into like some deeper some deeper darker like controversy shit. Like you know, Zuckerberg is Facebook. Facebook has already been has already been accused many times over for trying to control the media, or for trying to control how information gets disseminated. And now Zuckerberg gets to say in what children in schools are taught or how they're taught. Mm-hmm. That feels sketchy. Yeah. All for a ten million dollar donation, which to him is nothing, right? Yeah. So, food for thought. Well, yeah. I mean, if you like being in, being strong armed by capitalism and being at the will of. Gates, Zuckerberg, and Bezos. <laughs> Let us know. If not. <laughs> um, well, if you don't, don't order from Amazon and get off of Facebook. That's true. You know? That's true. Stop ordering from Amazon if that's how you feel. <laughs> um, okay, well, if you liked what you heard, you didn't like what you heard, um, if you really uh, are pro or against billionaire philanthropy, let us know at I'm the villain pod. That's our Gmail. It's our Instagram. That's our Twitter. Other words. Or otherwise. Bye.